0: And as you're seated, let's just pray together. Lord, thank you, uh, Lord, for the truth of that song. And thank you that uh, your words to Mary. Lord, I think of that phrase, nothing is impossible for you. Lord, Gabriel said that to Mary when she was told that she was a child. And she said, well, how in the world could that happen? Uh, and Gabriel said to her, listen, nothing is impossible without God. Lord, I think about the word healer and how many times in Scripture you're presented as a healer. And I just pray... That for the people who are in the house today, uh, Lord, those who will later watch through their uh, computer screen on the internet at some point, those who will listen through an iPod or an MP3 player, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that uh, they will understand, that all of us here today will realize whatever we are facing in our life, Lord, that nothing is impossible for you. Uh, And Lord, that you are the healer of things. You're the healer of emotions, you're the healer of abuse, you're the healer of hurt. You're the physical healer. You heal marriages. You heal strained families, parents at odds with kids, and vice versa. Uh, Lord, you can heal an employment situation that's not going well. Lord, we believe today that you are God. And we ask you, uh, Lord, if we don't get anything else out of today's worship service, we ask that you would step into our life and do the impossible and heal the hurts. Uh, And God, allow us this week to move forward spiritually because you are in our life more this week than you were last week. Uh, and Lord, let that be the prayer of our heart, even as we prepare to study your word today. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Hey, we are, uh, we are doing a series on heaven at our church, that uh, this is the third week we have talked about heaven together, and we're asking the question, is heaven for real? Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what the Bible has to say about eternity, and we said, you know, certainly there... There is an eternal life after this one. It, it appears that every major civilization in the history of the world has believed there's more to life than the here and the now. We looked at Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, where Solomon said in Ecclesiastes three, eleven, God, you've made life perfect in its time. But deep down on the inside of people's hearts, you've implanted eternity. So they don't just think about this life in the grandest of moments. There's always thoughts of the next life. And Solomon says you do that. So we'll chase after you. Last week we asked the question, what is heaven like? You know, a lot of us, we want to go to heaven. Uh, we talk about loved ones who are in heaven. Uh, but what does it look, what does it look like? Where is it? What will we do there? We answered all those questions. Last week was one of the most fun Bible studies that I have ever had the opportunity to learn and then to lead because of what the Bible has to say about heaven. But last week we talked about the activities of heaven. We said we'd eat. Uh, We said we'd worship. We said that, uh, you know, we'd sleep, we'd rest. But one of the things we said last week uh, is that we would work. We talked about what kind of work we'd have to do in heaven. But we didn't say one thing that the Bible says happens in heaven, and that's this. Um, The Bible says that we will party in heaven. Um, you say now what exactly does that party look like probably not the parties that we went to in high school It's probably not going to look like that uh, Probably not the parties that we went to when uh, when we were in fraternities and sororities in college It probably isn't going to look like those parties Although I believe the fun and enjoyment element will be there in that But we see several times in the Bible where the where the Bible pictures heaven as partying as throwing a party as having a feast And today we want to ask this question spiritually What is it that makes heaven party? And I want to show you a couple things in Scripture, and then we're going to get into the meat of our text. I'm going to start in Job today. You don't have to turn there with me. Uh, But I'm going to start today in Job chapter 38 to where the Bible says this is the first time we see in Scripture that uh, in the first week of creation... Um heaven was throwing a party. Job chapter 38, if you just want to jot this down on the top of your sermon notes, we passed out some sermon notes and a pen when you came in so that your learning experience would be good today. So you'd not just come and listen, but you'd engage and learn and take some notes. But in Job chapter 38, Job has been kind of complaining to God about everything in his life. And uh, God starts talking to Job. And he starts asking Job questions that only God could know. And God reveals something in Job 38 that we don't see anywhere else in Scripture. And God says this in Job 38, verses 4 through 7 about creation week and some of the things happening on creation week. Um, God asked Job this, where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it on on what where its footing said or who laid its cornerstone? Verse seven. Here's the first party that we hear about in heaven. Who created the earth, God says, verse seven, while the morning stars, that's uh, uh, Old Testament terminology for angels who created the earth while the angels sang together and shouted for joy. God is telling Job in Job chapter 38, listen, you don't know a whole lot spiritually, but here's one thing I'm sure you don't know. You don't know that on creation week when I was creating the heavens and the earth, the angels were like in a grandstand, like having a party. Every time I'd create something, they they would go crazy and cheer and shout and sing. And here's what we know. If you're looking at your sermon notes and taking notes, we know for a fact, according to Job 38, verses four through seven, that angels cheer when God creates new things. Angels cheer. When God creates new things, according to God in Job 38, when God creates new things, man, the angels go crazy. They cheer. They have a party. They shout like fans at a game. They watch and they celebrate. So we know that a fact is angels cheer when God creates new things. We also know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you don't have to follow me around, but I hope you'll jot these references down before we all settle together in Luke 15 in in just a minute. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told that when people become Christians... We are part of God's new creation. You say, where is it? Second Corinthians 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has become a, a, a Christian, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. So a biblical fact is this. Angels cheer when God creates new things. An assumed fact, based on these two verses together, would be this. Well, angels cheer when God creates new life in Christians. If when God creates new things, the angels throw a party and Christians are new things, then we would look at that and say, well, it makes sense that maybe angels party when people become Christians. But that would be an assumed fact. Say, give it to me in a little more black and white. Christian, does it say anywhere specifically, like when somebody becomes a Christian, that there's a party in heaven? I'm glad you ask, because the answer is yes. Here's the confirmed fact that we're going to study this morning. The Bible says explicitly in black and white that heaven has a party. When someone becomes a Christian. We've looked at eternity. We've looked at what heaven is like. But today we're going to look at what what makes heaven party. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to live today. The Bible says that heaven has a party when someone becomes a Christian. Now, ushers, I'm going to ask you to come down the aisle and hand out Bibles now. If you don't have a Bible, if you forgot your Bible, if you just need one, we're going to be in all of Luke chapter 15. Just wave at the ushers. They'll give you this Bible. If you don't have one, this one's yours to keep. Put your name in it. Bring it back every week. Go home. Read it. Learn from it. It's yours. If you just need to borrow one because you forgot it and don't want to read on the screen, holler at an usher and throw it on the table when you leave. Uh, But as we study the Bible, we find out, according to Jesus... That when people become Christians, heaven throws a party. Now, I don't know when the last time you had a party thrown for you was, but I know this, when you became a Christian, if you can remember that day, if you can remember that time, maybe it was sitting in a chair in this gym, maybe it was in a church 15 years ago, maybe it was, it was at a summer camp or a vacation Bible school 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. I can say for certain that when you became a Christian, There was a party thrown in heaven on your behalf, and I'm sure it was way better than any party that any of us has ever had here on planet Earth. say, Christian, why do you say that? Because of what the Bible says in Luke chapter 15. We're going to start out in verses 1 through 10. We're going to break it down a little bit, and then we'll read uh, the rest of Luke 15 near the end of the message. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. So Jesus told him a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one. Doesn't he leave his ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who don't need to repent. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I hope you circled verse 7. And verse 10 there, because in Luke 15, 7 and in Luke 15, 10, Jesus said, you need to understand that when someone becomes a Christian, there is a party in heaven over that event. That's how crucial and how important it is. But what I find even more interesting in Luke chapter 15, which I never knew until I began to study this text this week, is that Luke 15, the Bible has four books that are about Jesus' life. We call them the Gospels. They're kind of biographies. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And you can kind of overlay Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with each other to piece together a chronological view of Jesus' life. If we lay all four of them together, we get the most information about Jesus' life. It would be like four friends telling a story about some place you were together, and each one of them just adds a little more information. And if you hear all four stories, you know better. We know by comparing Matthew with Luke that Luke chapter 15 started with this question in Matthew chapter 18. What is the kingdom of God like? What is heaven like? And as Jesus is teaching about what heaven is like, here's one thing. He said, oh, here's one thing you need to know about heaven. Heaven throws a party when people become Christians. God, what, what Jesus, what is heaven like? Well, here's one thing you need to know about heaven. You need to know that heaven gets really excited when people become Christians. Today, I want to talk to you about when heaven parties and how as a church, we can hopefully set heaven up every seven days uh, to have big parties on behalf of what's going on here at our church. What makes heaven party? I want to show you three things from Luke chapter 15 today that help us understand what makes heaven party. One, I want you to see the person of the party. And, and you should write out in the side of your notes the guest of honor. I want you to see the guest of honor at this party, the person who the party is for. Because in Luke chapter fifteen four and in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, this person is described here. Here is the person of the party in verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? In verses 8 and 9. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. Now, Jesus describes the person of the party the same way. The blank sheep, the blank coin. And what is the word that he uses? Jesus said the person of the party is the... One more time. One more time. Lost. He doesn't call them bad He doesn't call them rebellious. He doesn't call them sinful. He doesn't call them stupid. He doesn't use all the judgmental terms that we use to talk about people who have not yet entered into a relationship with him. We like to judge the world that's not yet a part of God's kingdom. Jesus just says they're they're lost. But here's one thing that you need to realize uh, as you look at it particularly. The sheep didn't know it was lost. The coin didn't. Couldn't know it was lost. Jesus just said, there are people who have not yet found their way spiritually. And they are really, really, really important people in the kingdom of God. They're not bad people. They're not rebellious people. They're not people we should turn our back on or talk down to. These aren't people we should despise. These are people who we should help find their way spiritually because they're lost. We find out as we read through Scripture that Jesus had a tremendously soft heart toward what the Bible would refer to as lost people. He often referred to himself as as somebody who went after lost things. Have you ever taken a trip to a beach and and seen some guy out on the beach with a metal detector and get his headphones on and he's out there looking for stuff in the sand? That, That would be Jesus spiritually. Jesus was always looking for the things that were covered up, that no one else looked for, cared about, even thought about. Jesus was always looking for things that were lost spiritually. In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 16, here's how Jesus described himself looking for people who hadn't found their way yet spiritually. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he'll abandon the sheep and run away. Jesus here describes somebody who doesn't care about anybody but themselves spiritually. She said, there are some people who, when they see someone who's not just like them spiritually, they they just run away. They'd rather not engage in the danger. Not me. I'm the shepherd, Jesus says. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep and, and I must bring them in also. They listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and there shall be one shepherd. Jesus said, I love the sheep of the church. I I love everyone in the church. And I laid down my life for the church. And uh, Jesus said, I lived my life for people who would follow me. But I also have sheep who are not in the church yet. And I've got to go get them. It's not just about who's in. It's about who else needs to be in. Jesus said, I'm the shepherd and I'm consistently thinking about the lost sheep. Say, man, good thing Jesus goes after the good sheep. It's a good thing that Jesus went after the lost sheep let me ask you this. Jesus isn't here anymore. Jesus isn't going to reach the lost sheep of Lee Summit in Cass County and Overland Park and Gardner and Lenexa and Shawnee Mission and Olathe and everywhere else we draw people from, Harrisonville. Jesus isn't going to reach those sheep. Why? Because Jesus isn't walking planet Earth anymore. But Jesus has us to help him. If we look at the story and we read what Jesus says, we see that when, when it comes to lost sheep, When it comes to lost coins, we see that someone was looking for them. And that someone in this parable becomes us. Say the words, I am the key. Say it again. Say it again. You are the key to someone who's lost spiritually in your life, finding their way to Jesus. Say, I am the key. I need you to understand, you are the key to the lost person spiritually in your life, finding their way to jesus you are the key in romans chapter 10 verses 13 through 15 paul tells us about our role to bring people to jesus and he says this paul said whoever calls on the name of the lord will be saved but how will they call on him and whom they've not believed paul says something real simple hey jesus will save anyone who asks him to but then he asks this question what about people who haven't heard about jesus that's a great question is it not Jesus will save anyone who wants to be saved. But what about people who have never been told that, Paul says? How shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Paul says anyone who wants Jesus in their life can have him. But what about people who don't know Jesus. Paul says someone's got to tell them somebody's got to go get them and bring them say I am the key Say God needs my feet Say it again. God needs my feet Say feet are gross Listen, it's true. They are feet are gross. I don't care how you paint them clean them whatever feet are gross But when God needs our feet say wait, what do you what do you mean? God needs my feet? Here's what Paul says How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring, who bring, who take something with them to somebody else. How beautiful are feet who go find people who are lost spiritually so that they can hear about Jesus. You are the key. You see, the person in Luke chapter 15 who was lost is the guest of honor. You know, in our church, we've had 72 people since uh, July 10th when we started doing preview services of 2011, in the last 11 or so months that we've had church, we've had 72 people who have become Christians sitting in this gym on a Sunday morning service. Seventy-two people. Those Sundays, they were the guest of honor. Those Sundays, heaven threw a party, multiple parties in heaven, because those people those days became Christians. But, but here's, here's what's so interesting about that. Some of those people didn't even realize that they were the guest of honor at their own heavenly party. You know, one of the things that I don't want to say grieves my heart, but that I'm most challenged about as a pastor is we'll have people who weekly. Will pray to become Christians who who will become Christians who will go from lost spiritually to found spiritually and they'll raise their hand and say Christian I want you to know that I just got found spiritually but then they don't check the back of their connection cards It's like ah we don't know who they are like heaven's throwing a party for them but we don't even know their name it's like somebody who's at their own surprise party who doesn't even know it's their own surprise party that happened for me this year have you ever been at a surprise have you ever had a surprise birthday party thrown for you that just totally throws you for a loop. Danielle did that for me this year. I had a surprise birthday party that some of you were at. I turned 34 last February. Um, and she had a surprise birthday party for me at Waldo Pizza that I just, it, like it wasn't even on my radar that it was my birthday, Right. And we pull into the parking lot and she's been trying for weeks to cover this up and make sure I don't know. And as we pulled into the parking lot, we pulled past my neighbor's car. They were there. I know their car because they've got a, a soccer sticker on it that I recognize. And I told Danielle, hey, our neighbors were here. And I could see her tense up, but it didn't, it like, I don't, I just didn't think of it. It was a Friday night and I wasn't thinking. So we drive past another car and I think, I'm thinking, I recognize that car too. Um, it, you know, and I walk in the restaurant and when I get into the restaurant, there's this back room and I locked eyes. With Daniel and Sarah Bailey a couple in our church and I'm like hey, there's the Bailey's and as I go to walk up to the Bailey's Everyone yells surprise and I jump back and I'm like man somebody must be having a party in here And I go to talk to the Bailey's before I realize Wait a minute like everyone in here goes to our church. What is like what is going on? And Daniel's like this is for you It took me like three minutes to process that everyone was there for me that the party was for me That I was the guest of honor, that I just wasn't randomly seeing neighbors and church folks and I could just settle down and enjoy the party. Some of you have come to this church. You've become Christians and you had no idea what a big deal that it was that on that day you were the guest of honor at a party in heaven. And here for you, the most exciting thing that happened at our church that Sunday was you becoming a Christian. You see, the person of the party is the person who's lost spiritually, who has not found their way spiritually who enters a relationship with Jesus and not only gets eternal life, but forgiveness and a new life with God. I want to say this. If you today or next week or in the following couple of months, if you are not a Christian and you decided our church to give your life to Jesus, please let us know so we can celebrate with you. Because this is a really big deal to us when those things happen spiritually. And it's a big deal in heaven when those things happen spiritually. So we see the person of the party, but we also see the purpose of the party. Number two. We see the purpose of the party. We understand why this is so important and what has happened to make heaven throw the party. Where is that? Verse 7 and verse 10. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. In verse 10 he says the exact same words. In the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who who repents. Now, what do we know about the sheep and the coin? If we're to just look into the story two thousand years ago about a sheep and a coin, here's what we know. They they both have extreme value. Sometimes one village of, of ten to twelve families would only have one sheep between them. Extreme value. We know this coin is extremely valuable. Some historical writers believe that in the ancient Near East, when this New Testament history would have been written, that ten coins literally symbolized for a woman like a wedding ring. You would have nine when you were engaged, and only women who were married had ten. So if you lost one, I mean, it took away all your status as being a married woman in Israel. It was th- these coins and these sheep, they were extremely valuable. They uh, offered security. To people a sheep meant that I can eat a sheep meant that I can go to the temple and worship and offer a sacrifice I mean a sheep was my livelihood a coin was my identity And what we see is this extremely valuable person Who god knows needs both physical and spiritual security? Who god knows can only find their spiritual identity in him? the coin and the sheep uh, And the lost person we're told needs to repent say the word repent Write the word repent down on your sermon notes. That is a good spiritual word for you to know. The word repent means change direction. That's all it means. I was uh, pulling into church this morning and I about hit a kid on a skateboard because he decided to ride from the sidewalk out in front of my car on a skateboard like right while I was coming and do some kind of flip and jump. And I didn't hit him. I stopped because I saw him coming. Uh, But he he did a repent. He's going this way on a skateboard and he stopped and he went this way on a skateboard. That's, that's a picture of repentance. I'm going one way, I stop, and I go a different direction. That's what repent means. So when somebody repents spiritually, Jesus said there's rejoicing when someone repents. Repent means there's rejoicing when someone decides to change direction in their life and quit living for themselves and instead start following God. That's a biblical picture of repentance. In John 10.10, 10, We talk about new direction, new life. Jesus says this in John 10.10. The thief, referring to Satan, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that, that people might have life and that they might have it to the full. Jesus says this, I have a better life to offer people than life without me. Life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus. Jesus is saying, here's you living life without me. If you will stop and begin to live life with me. It's a better life. It's a better life for you. It's a better life for your family. It's a better life for you eternally. It's a better life for your soul, your spirit, your emotions, your relationships. Life with Jesus, Jesus is saying, is a better life. But I want you to see exactly where this verse is because a lot of people don't connect this. John 10.10, Jesus says, I'm here to offer the best life possible. But then in John 10.11, he says this. These verses actually fit together. Not everyone knows about this better life yet. Not everyone has this better life. John 10.10, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. John 10.11, so I am the good shepherd. And the people who don't yet know about the better life, I'm going to go get them. And I'm going to help them change direction and repent so they can follow me. Why is Jesus searching for people who are lost spiritually? Because he has a better life to offer them. He has an eternal life to offer them. And the purpose of the party is that when people decide to follow Jesus, their life is better, their life is more full, their life is forgiven, their life is eternal. And Jesus said, man, that is worth having a party over. Someone who had a bad life now has a better life. That's worth throwing a party over. Somebody's just changed direction, a life without God to a life with God. That's worth having a party over. What's the purpose of the party? Somebody's life has become better because Jesus has entered it. It's now forgiven. It's changed. It's wiped clean. It's eternal. It's better in every way, Jesus says. So that's worth throwing a party. So we see the person of the party. We we see the purpose of the party. But then as we read the rest of Luke chapter 15, we see the picture of the party. So what does it look like? Jesus gives us what we call in the Bible a parable. He shows us a picture of heaven through an earthly story. And Jesus said, here's here's what the party will look like one day. And, man, we learn a lot about the culture of heaven through the picture of the party in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And here's what Jesus says in Luke 15, 11, 32. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I'm going to set out, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your servant or your son. Uh, I'm no longer worthy to be called. uh, Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, but now is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and he said, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was, what's the word there? He was lost. But now he's found. The key verse is verse 25. Jesus is trying to show us a picture of heaven. A picture of the party in heaven. He said, what do you mean when somebody becomes a Christian, they party in heaven? What does the party look like? Look at verses 24 and 25. Here's the picture of heaven. Jesus shows us of the party in heaven. The dad said the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He's lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. So we know these heavenly parties have celebrations. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music. He heard dancing. This was a party. This was a celebration. And the picture of the party is my son was lost, but he was found. You see, in this community, let's narrow it down. In your neighborhood, let's narrow it down again. In your family, let's narrow it down again. Maybe in your house, there are people who are lost spiritually. Who, if they only knew it, they are the guest of honor in heaven's next big party. If they would just understand who Jesus is and accepting. See, Paul says, anyone who calls in the name of Jesus will be saved. Paul said, but here's the problem. What if no one tells them? You are the key. You are the key to unlocking the party for this person in heaven. A party with celebrating music, dancing, food, excitement. And here's the question that I have for our church when it comes to culture. Are we going to be a church that has the heart of the dad? Or are we going to be a church that has the heart of the brother? Say, Christian, what do you mean by that? The dad was focused and excited And literally would do anything to see the lost become found. While the brother thought the lost person deserved punishment. Deserved to uh, have no respect given to him. Deserved not even to come home again. You know, there may have been some people in the room this morning that were offended. When I said that the most important people at our church are those who become Christians. Because you're saying, wait a minute, I've been a Christian my whole life. Am I not the most important person at this church? Listen to me. The mission statement of our church is we exist to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. When someone far from God becomes a Christian at our church, that is the mission. That's why we started this church. You've already had your party. I've already had my party. And, and man, I sh- I'm sure it was a good one. But now we've got to live our life collectively as a church. We've got to live like the dad who can't wait to see the lost son, the lost spouse, the lost neighbor, the lost co-worker. We've got to be like the dad who that lost person in our life becomes our focus spiritually because we want to see them found so we can celebrate and heaven can celebrate. It's not that you're not important. It's just that you've had your party and you're supposed to have moved on. When I talk about our mission statement, you'll see as they, as they put it on the screen behind me, it was up there. The word passionate Christian is underlined. That's supposed to be what you are if you're already a Christian. You are now supposed to be in a position of passion where you're not required. Listen to me. You're not required, but you should be inspired to see other persons, other people become Christians. Say not required. Say it again. You're not required to ever see anyone become a Christian in your life. You're not responsible, really, for other people spiritually. They have to make their own decision. Say, I'm not required. Say this, but I should be inspired. See, when I read about what happened for me in heaven when someone told me I should be inspired to go and tell someone else. And that is really what the focus, as we talk about this series, is heaven for real. For those of us who are already passionate Christians... Our focus should continually be on not what will we experience, but who else needs to experience it as well. We passed out today this little card. Pull this out. When you came in today, it was clipped along with like seven other things. Forgive us for putting so many things in your hands. We try to narrow it down. But this is, this is one of the things we should have gave you today. Is this Harvest Sunday. On September 23rd, we're bringing in one of the most gifted evangelists in the world. His name's Tony Nolan. He speaks all over the world telling people about Jesus. He was just a few weeks ago with Billy Graham. He'll probably tell you the story of being with Billy in his house just a few weeks ago. I mean, this guy, his goal in life is to tell people about Jesus. And he does a good job at it. And we're bringing him in here on September 23rd for this purpose. Because we believe in this community. There are some lost sheep and some lost coins. And I believe that you and I can make a difference And bringing those lost sheep and those lost coins so they can hear about Jesus, so they can decide for themselves. But we are the key to bring them. And on that Sunday, on the back of this card, I'm asking everyone in our church to begin today praying for one person in your life who you're not sure if they have a relationship with Jesus. You're not sure if they're going to go to this heaven that we're talking about. I'm going to ask you to invite them to church that day. To invite them to church that day so they can hear about Jesus. Shouldn't everyone have the opportunity to at least say yes or no? Shouldn't everyone have the opportunity to hear about Jesus at least once? My goal is that on this day you'll bring your moms and dads who you don't know if they're Christians. You'll bring your sons and daughters who you don't know if they're Christians. You'll bring your brothers and sisters. You'll bring your coworkers. You'll bring your neighbors who you don't know if they're Christians. Because doesn't everyone deserve the chance to hear once and at least decide on their own? Instead of one day getting to eternity and hearing, you know, that, you know, what did you do with Jesus? And they say, I never heard about Jesus. I think God would look at churches like ours and say, man, you all dropped the ball. It was your job to tell them. We've got to tell people. They have to decide, but we have to tell them. mean, I've been praying for this Sunday on my knees for more than a month now. That on this day, we would bring people who would hear about Jesus. And that God would do the rest. That their hearts would say, yes, I want this. Yes, I need this. You know, I read a blog last week that a pastor I followed wrote. They just did a huge Sunday at their church. I did not know they were in kind of a similar deal. Uh, But they did a deal at their church on back to school Sunday where they ask all their people to bring someone. In the hopes that people would hear about Jesus and invite Jesus into their life. They last week at their church had 1,250 people who became Christians in one Sunday. At 26,000 people at church. It's a big church in South Carolina. But he wrote a blog the week before that, talking to people about why it was important to bring people to church on this special day. And he gave ten reasons. And here's what he called it. Ten reasons. To, he, he's, he's, I like this guy, but he, he can push the limits of being crude sometimes. Here was the title of his blog. Ten reasons to get off your Ass and bring somebody to church. And his point was this. It's one thing to ask somebody. It's another thing to go get them, to bring them, to eat lunch with them after church. So he told his people, this is not... Just about hey, i'm going to invite someone to church. I'm going to bring someone to church I'm going to go get them I'm going to bring them and then i'm going to plan that day to eat lunch with them at church I'm going to commit this day To them hearing about jesus and being able to decide for eternity on their own And here's the 10 reasons he gave I thought this was so good number one Because everyone spends eternity somewhere Hebrews 9 27 says that it's appointed unto man Once to die and after that to face judgment, we're all going to die and spend eternity somewhere Because of that, we should let people know about Jesus. Number two, because it's it's impossible to be connected to Christ and not care about the people that he cared about. When we really have Jesus in us, we want other people to have Jesus in them. And some people do it wrong and just try to cram it down their throat and force feed them a Bible. Others live relationally and they count on days like this to be able to bring a friend or relative and just say, "I I I want you to listen with an open heart today and respond. Number three, because found people find people. I love this thought. I was lost. I'm found. Now that I'm found, I want to help others find their way. Number four. And I'll, I'll post these on our Facebook so our church Facebook site so you don't have to write all these down. Um, because God is patient with people. And because he is, we should be as well, never giving up on them because God never gave up on us. There's no one in your life who Jesus can't reach, save, change, give eternal life. Number five. Because there's no other name under heaven by which mankind must be saved than the name of Jesus, according to Acts 4:12, John 14:6, and 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 5. Number six, because Jesus will honor our faith when we go all out and do whatever it takes to bring people to a place where they can meet him. Number seven, because being a follower of Christ is about following his commands rather than merely viewing scripture as a suggestion. Scripture doesn't say, hey, maybe you should go tell people about Jesus. It says, go make sure people know about Jesus. Number eight, because apart from Jesus, the world is separated from God. And the main calling on our lives as followers of Christ is to be agents of reconciliation. We're supposed to bring people's hands to God's hands and put them together. Number nine, because people don't need to clean up their act and change their behavior. They just need to meet Christ and allow him to change them from the inside out. That's the only change that will change the world. And number 10, because God is greater than anyone's skepticism, atheism, any agnostic attitude towards him. So don't look at the person in your life who might be closest to being a Christian and bring them. Just whoever God lays on your heart. Whoever God lays on your heart that, hey, maybe this person needs to hear about Jesus. I'm going to ask you to write their name on that card. And I'm going to ask you to pray for them every day from now for the next three weeks till September 23rd. And I'm going to ask you to try to bring them to church with you that day so they can have the opportunity to meet Jesus. Listen to me. Say, Christian, what if they don't meet Jesus that day? A lot won't. They'll listen. They'll hear. They won't make a decision. But you know what? They'll go away. And for the rest of their lives, they'll know that Jesus is a prayer away. You'll have opened their eyes to a whole new reality. So here's how I want to close this service today. I want everyone to take that card in your hands. And I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me with that card in your hands this morning. And I want to close this service first and foremost by praying for these people that God has laid on your heart. Now, if you can't write off the top of your head, think of a name to write in that blank. Then I want you to pray. God, show me who I'm supposed to introduce to you on September 23rd. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to take this card and I want you to think about this person. If you have a person, think about their name. If you have a person, visualize their face right now. See them. See them where they are. And right now, here's what I want you to pray, first and foremost. You don't have to pray this out loud, but just in your heart, I'm going to give you some direction, and I want you to pray. Number one, pray that God will begin to soften their heart between now and September 23rd. And while you pray for that person by name, why is this important? Some people have had bad church experiences, bad religious experiences, bad upbringing, upbringings. They're skeptics, they're agnostic, they're atheists. If they have a hard heart, the message might not penetrate. So pray first and foremost that their heart will be soft to God. Secondly, heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. Pray that their heart will be open to coming to church with you that day. We can't save people. We can't pray for people. We can't accept Jesus on their behalf. All we can do is bring them. Then it's up to them. But you need to pray. They'll be open to come into church with you that day, September 23rd. And then I want you right now to pray for our speaker that day. His name is Tony Nolan. And I want you to pray that Tony will be able to connect with the person that you're bringing. That his personality... Or maybe a joke he tells. Or where he's from. Will connect with who you bring. So they'll pay attention. And then lastly. I want you to pray for yourself. That God will give you strength. And courage. To invite someone to church. Because it's not easy. None of us want to be seen as religious fanatics. We don't want to be turned down. We don't want to have weird relationships if we invite someone and they say no. So pray that God will give you strength and courage to invite someone to church on September 23rd. Now, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, and we're early today. We're going to get out early today so I can have a few more minutes here in prayer. Heads bowed and eyes still closed. It would be wrong of us to all be praying for people that we don't know have a relationship with jesus yet and maybe not give someone in this room who doesn't have a relationship with jesus yet the opportunity to do that today you shouldn't have to wait three weeks you can do that today heaven's ready to party on your behalf today if you're in here and you're not a christian yet so with heads bowed and eyes closed if you haven't repented if you haven't turned your life to start living life with God, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to clean up your heart, to change your life, to give you eternity, I'm not asking if you've been to church, if you've been confirmed, if you've been baptized, I'm asking if you've said this prayer, had a moment in your life where you stopped and you changed direction and said, God, I want to follow you, then you can do that today if you're feeling led. You say, how do I do that? You just pray a prayer. You say, I don't know how to pray. You can pray after me, I'll lead you. You don't have to pray out loud. No one has to hear you. But God, just pray this prayer in your heart, dear God. Today, I want you in my life. I pray that you will forgive me for the sin in my life that isn't the way you want me to live. I pray that you will clean me up from the inside out and begin to change me so I can be more like you. And I pray, God, That one day you'll give me eternal life in heaven. Thank you. That even though when I walked in today lost. That you cared enough to come find me. And that you love me just the way I am. And you can save me for eternity. Thank you today. For finding me. And saving me. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed. Please nobody looking around. If today you just prayed that prayer. And gave your heart and your life to Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up so that I can know that you prayed with me today? Yes, anyone else? Christian, I prayed with you. I just want you to know that today I turn my life over to God. You can put your hand down. Now, God, thank you for uh, the party that's happening right now. Because someone in this room just gave their heart to you. Lord, the party that is going on in heaven right now. In the presence of angels, singing, dancing, music, feasting. Because another one that was lost has been found. Thank you for that. And God, I pray for our church on September 23rd. That on that day, all of us would witness and experience something that we've never seen before in a church. As uh, people that you care deeply about. Who might not know you yet. Have the opportunity to hear who you are. And to respond. And to start their life all over again with you. We love you. We pray that you'll help us to be successful in our efforts to bring people to hear about Jesus. We know we're the key. We pray you'll use our feet to go get people and bring them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said together, amen. Now, here's what I want you to do right now.